0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Turn in your Bible to Nehemiah 4. No time for just wonderful transitions. We're going right in the word, Nehemiah 4 really kind of wrapping up a series called Home. On my heart is to get a set for this next season. I, I believe it's a theme that's going to continue to stay with us for a while. Um, especially, I want you to pay attention this morning, just from the standpoint of going back to school, going back to a new season, especially families that get kids uh, in that age group or maybe even a little older. And let's take a look at what Nehemiah says here in verses 13 and 14 and then verse 20. Let me read it for you. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their... Families, important part. He sent them according to their families, not their skill, not their ability as a warrior. I set them according to their families with their swords, spears, and their bows. 14 says this: And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses or your home. Verse 20 says this, jumping down to 20, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and listen to this last phrase, for our God will fight for us. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, when you fight for your family, God will fight for you. Come on, somebody. When you fight for your family, God will fight for you. But you got to fight, and God will come in and do what you cannot do. But he has an expectation for you to fight for your families. And if there ever was a time to fight for families, it's today. We are in a fight. Look at what it says in Nehemiah two nineteen. He's talking about, no, those that came to oppose what he's there to do. And it says this in verse 19 and 20. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, official, and Geshem the Arab, heard of it, heard what they were doing, they laughed at us and despised us. You know the world's going to laugh at you and despise you for not being like everybody else for taking a stand against the morality and and the culture and things that are, the compromise, the things that are created today. And they said to them, what is this thing you're doing? What do you mean you're fighting for your family? What do you mean you're building the walls? What do you mean you're rebuilding the walls of your home? What are you doing? Will you rebel against the king? Will you rebel against the common thought of the day? Will you rebel against the authority of the land? Will you rebel against the legislation that is contrary to the word of God? Will you rebel against when everybody else is compromising? Who do you think you are? What do you think you're going to gain from that? So I answered them and said, yes, yes. I'm going to do that. Yes, because God of heaven himself will prosper me. That's how this is going to be accomplished. Therefore, we, his servants, will rise up and build or rebuild, protect, and fight for our homes because you have no right, enemy. You have no claim on my home. You have no claim on my marriage. You have no claim on my family. You have no claim in this city. You have no claim in this community. You have no claim in this church. It's not yours. It's God's, we're God's people. You have no heritage, no right, no memorial, and our homes, our families, our marriages, our church, our community, our city, what we're doing, and we're not going to relinquish it. Because if we will fight for our families, God will fight for us, amen? Amen, so uh, it it, it talks about that. So listen, the devil wants to destroy the church, but remember Jesus says, on this rock of the revelation that Peter gave, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The devil knows he cannot prevail against the church, so because he can't prevail or defeat the church, he is set out to defeat the home. He set out to defeat marriages. Because if he can defeat the home and he can defeat marriages, who's gonna go to church? So he cannot defeat the church because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. So now his strategy is to attack the home, attack the family, attack your marriages. But he has no claim. He has no rights. Don't relinquish it to him. And if you'll fight for your families, he will fight for you. Hey, listen, if that's such a high priority for the devil, don't you think it should be a priority for us? Absolutely. It needs to be a priority. We have to be determined to do that, to fight for our families. It's not easy. Everything seems to be against the home, the marriage of family. But when we decide that our families are a cause worth fighting for, then God says, I will fight for you. In 2 Peter, it's not in your notes, but in 2 Peter, it says, the Bible says that Noah, it talks about him in 2 Peter as well, but Noah built the ark for the saving of family. It goes on to tell us that, another translation says, he was the eighth person on the ark. Do you realize there was only eight people on the ark? And so when it says he's the eighth person on the ark, it means that Noah made sure that he had, number no, one, he had a wife, and he had three sons, and three daughters-in-law, that makes seven, he makes eight. So he was the last person on the ark. In other words, if you could picture Noah saying, okay, is everybody, okay, she's on, yeah. Okay, more my boys, okay, yeah, they're already on there. They're good, they're safe. Okay, the daughters-in-law, yeah, okay, everybody. Okay, everybody's on there. Okay, everybody's on the ark. Then I'm gonna come in. You know what they did? He made sure that his family was all saved from the judgment of God. The ark is a type and shadow of, of a rescue, of salvation when the judgment of God came. Listen, we need to fight for our families and make sure they're all on the ark. Make sure they're on the ark. Don't leave it up to the pastor. Don't leave it up to the youth pastor. Don't leave it up to the children's pastor. Don't leave it up to the small group leader. Fight for your family. Make sure they're all on the ark and they're rescued or safe from God's judgment. That's what Noah did. You know what he did? He fought for his family. He made sure everyone was safe. Job, in the book of Job, don't turn there. Job 1 says, Job rose up early in the morning and offered a sacrifice for each one of his family members. The Bible says, according to the number of his household, according to the number of people that lived in his home, he had a wife and 10 kids. Bible says that Job, J-O-B, got up every morning and he offered a sacrifice. He sacrificed an animal on behalf of each family member. He didn't offer a sacrifice on behalf of all of them. In other words, he prayed and called out their name individually before God. So he pled, use the old school term, he pled the blood of Jesus over his spouse. He pled the blood of Jesus over his oldest. His next oldest, his next oldest is, are you pleading the blood of Jesus over your family? Job did. I almost said Job did. But you know what? That's Job's job. That's our job. That's our job, to fight for our family, to plead the blood of Jesus over our kids every day, plead the blood of Jesus over our spouse every day. What was he doing? He was fighting for our family, because when you fight for your family, God fights for you. Fight for your families. You know, when you look in the scripture and you see one of the most evil kings of the day was King Ahab and Jezebel, evil, godless. In the eyes of the Lord, they had 70 children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, 70 Children, grandchildren, grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and the Bible says that an enemy came in and beheaded all 70, not King Ahab and Jezebel, but all his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. The Bible says because of their evilness, they, uh, the enemy came in and beheaded all of them. Well, then you look in the Scripture, and if you're looking for somebody else that had 70 children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, the only one you're going to find is a man named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom, was, you know, mom. Obed-Edom, known by my mom, uh, came and brought uh, brought uh, the ark of the Lord. The ark of the Lord brought the ark of the Lord where it was known in that day, Old Testament days, the presence of God dwelt. The Bible says Obed-Edom brought the ark of the Lord and the presence of God into his home And it says for three months, and it says they were blessed and prospered so much so that he had to move that thing out of his house. I can't take any more blessing. I can't take any more prospering. Somebody else take this. Can you imagine having a home like that? What did he do? He brought the presence of the Lord into his home. And the Bible says that every single one of the 70 of his children, grandchildren, great grandchildren served the Lord. What did he do? He brought the presence of God into his home. If you fight for God, he will fight for you. What was Obed-Edom doing? He was fighting for his family. Fighting for his family. Can I ask you this question? Is the presence of God in your home? Or do you just wait till you get to church for the presence of God? It needs to be in your home. Turn and look uh, in the book of Philemon 1. Philemon 1. I said this first service. It just sounded funny to me because Philemon 1 sounded to me I'm, maybe because I'm hungry. So i like, filet mignon. Turn to Philemon. Filet mignon. Uh, verse sweet potato and then uh, back in the days of Caesar salad. Okay, there we go. So, uh, Philemon. I can't say it now. I'll say it this way. Philemon. (laughs) Philemon 1. Look what it says in the second half of this verse. It says to the church in your house. Paul is writing a letter and he's writing a letter to this guy. Philemon. (laughs) He's writing a letter to this guy and he says to the church in your home. Are you having church in your home? Are you having church in your home? No, I come and have church on every Sunday. No, no, no. Are you having church in your home? Are you honoring and acknowledging the presence of God in your house? Are you spending time getting together, getting the whole family together? And not almost a, I'm not saying you're, you're having a small group. Yeah, you should do that or go be a part of one. But in your home with your family, are you gathering together and talking about God and the goodness of God and the things that he has for your life? Are you gathering together Is there prayer other than around the meal in your home? Are you gathering together and maybe reading the Bible, even if it's a family devotional or one scripture Are they talking about and talk to all your children? What does that mean to you? Are you spending time with, just get a CD on or, or have Pastor Cody record something for you or whatever. Air one, Caleb, and play it and just listen and maybe just for a little bit. Is there any church happening in your home? Fight for your family. Fight for your home. And God will fight for you. To the church, it happens in your home. So how do you build? How do you build that? How do you rebuild that? How are you gonna protect? How are you gonna fight for your family? What does it take? What does it take? Well, I think in Ezekiel, we find the secret. The important, the key of making that happen. Ezekiel 43, go ahead and turn there. Ezekiel 43, verse 12. Verse 12, let's start here, verse 13a. Listen listen to this first verse in verse 12. The law of the temple. The temple is called the house of God. The temple is called as the home, if you will. Let's use that verbiage or that wording today. The law, this is the law of the home. This is the law of the home. God visits uh, Ezekiel and gives him a vision for the house of God, this is a law of the home. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is most, is most holy. Behold, a second time, two times in the same verse, he stresses, this is the law of the home. This is how it's done. It's not done any other way. If you want my presence in your house or your home, your marriage, your family, this is how it's done. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, we'll just read this first part and I'll explain it. And he says this, there are, these are the measurements of the altar. He's restoring the temple of the house of God. These are the measurements of the altar in cubits. The cubit is one cubit and a hand breadth. Now let me explain that to you. These are the measurements of the altar. The altar was the first thing you would encounter. It was the place of sacrifice. It was the place of surrender. It was the place of humility. And so it says, uh, being a cubit, being one cubit and a hand breath, Ezekiel had a vision and God told him he'd restore the home, if you will, and to measure it in cubits. A cubit was a common measurement in Bible days. In fact, the first mention of it was when Noah was building the ark as God gave him the plan and the measurements of the ark, he gave them to him in cubits. He built the ark based on the measurement of cubits. Cubit in Hebrew is, com- is the word Ama, A-M-M-A-H. And it means mother or beginning. So cubit means mother or beginning. And they use this method of measuring here because they didn't have any other form of measuring. They didn't have a measuring tape. They didn't have whatever we have, rulers, yardsticks, they didn't have any of that. And a cubit measures out six hand breaths. A cubit is six hand breaths. That would be if you took your hand like this and put your fingers all together and tucked your thumb under there, that's one handbreadth. And so a cubit because it was a common knowledge of measurement, a cubit then would be the measurement from the elbow, where the elbow bends. You'd put it like that, and you'd mark six all the way. And by the time you got to the tip of your finger, you should roughly get about six hand breaths. So whatever you're building, whoever is building, it was about the average, and that's what would be measurement of a cubit. Six hand breaths equal one cubit. Six hand breaths is one cubit, again, from the elbow to the tip of your finger. Now, Jewish rabbis would take that portion of the arm from the elbow to the end of the hand and consider it ama, mother or beginning. Meaning that they would consider this arm is the arm that produces. This part of the arm is the arm that produces. From your elbow to your hand, it has the ability, that cubit, if you will, has the ability to create. It's the part of the arm that gives birth or produces or is the beginning of whatever man can imagine. And I just would say this, well, if this part from your elbow to your hand is the mother, then I would say this part is the father. Come on, man. Come on, that part's the father right there, right? I knew I should have I I wore a short sleeve shirt with really small armholes in it this morning then had the camera zoom in and enlarge. Anyway, so, okay. So the cubit... The mother of the arm, it's the mother arm because it's the part that creates. Man dreams, man imagines something, and that's the part of the arm that creates. Man has ideas and plans, but it's not until the mother of the arm does something, the six hand of a man, the cubit of a man, goes to work and begins to form, build, and create. And the, uh, the, the, the cubit of a man's arm has created amazing things, even back in the Old Testament. Think of the ark. The ark is an amazing construction feat based on cubits, the the man's arm. Think about anything that was built, palaces, castles. I mean, even to today. And technology has advanced so much and things and knowledge has advanced so much. It's amazing the things that can be built all with done with the measurement of six hand breaths of the cubit of a, a man, the mother. Over the centuries, so much has advanced technology. Knowledge has advanced at incredible rates. New things are invented and created all the time. Things are becoming obsolete rapidly. All that is attributed to the cubit of a man's hand, the creativity, giftedness, skills of a man's hand. And it's amazing what man can do, can create, engineer, and build. He can send people into space on a rocket ship. They can, he can operate on your heart with a little camera all the way inside there somehow. It's amazing what man can do. He can, he can send an image across the world. They can watch us this morning live in India if they want just because of what man has created. He can make a self-driving car, and yes, man has created Siri. Is there any greater invention? Unless you're a man asking for directions, you don't want her telling you where to go, what to do, right? It's like, it's these technologically amazing things that man has created with the cubit of an arm or the mother or the arm, they, arm, they produce things, they create things. It's amazing what man can do. All these things done by six hand of a man's arm. Everything you see here and experiencing today, you see man had a vision for and created. Man is gifted because he is made in the image of God man is gifted. He can do amazing things. But he can't do everything. But he can't do everything. And that's what Ezekiel is listening to from God. In fact, take a look at John 15, 5. Here's what the word says. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Listen to this. For without me, God says, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Well, wait a minute. You just spent half your sermon telling us how amazing man is and how many things man can create. Man can create things, but they can't create everything. And what Jesus is saying right here is man can create some great things, but without me, you can't create anything spiritual and you can't create anything eternal. You can create some things, but you can't create everything. Jesus says, not spiritual things, not eternal things, things that will last. Nothing spiritual, nothing eternal can be done with the cubit of a man's hand, with the six handbreadths of a man. And we try and do it without God, but we are not capable of doing spiritual things and eternal things unless God's hand helps us. So when God gave Ezekiel a blueprint for restoring the temple, he said, this is the law of the house. This is the law of the home. If you want a temple... If you want a house, if you want a home where my presence will be, I want you to use the cubit of a man's hand and remember back to scripture, plus one hand breath. He said use the cubit of a man's hand plus one or in other words, you need a seventh hand. You can build everything else with six hand breaths but if you're gonna build a temple, if you're gonna build a church, if you're gonna build a home, if you're gonna build a marriage, if you're gonna build a family, if you're gonna build a relationship, you need the ability of the seventh hand you're gonna need the seventh hand to build or rebuild your home. He said, this is the law of the home. You can build a place to live, but if you want it to be a home, you need the seventh hand. He says, you can build a building to meet in, but if you want it to be a church that, that he will abide in, then you need the seventh hand. It's not until he puts his hand with your hand. It's not until he puts his hand with your effort. So you can build a lot of things with six hands, but nothing spiritual, nothing eternal. And God says, you give me six hands breaths, You do everything you can do. The law of the home is you do everything you can do, and I'll do what you cannot do. I'll do what you cannot do. The seventh hand will come and do the things you cannot do. We need the hand of God. We need the anointing of God. We need the presence of God. We need the power of God. And understand, amen, amen, we need that. Understand, in the Bible, the number six, six hand breasts, represents man. Look in the creation story. It represents man. Day six. Number six represents man. So man can only go so far. The number seven in scripture represents God. On the seventh day, God rested. So you can only do so much, but when you do the law of the home, when you do everything you can do, God comes to do what only he can do. He comes and adds the seventh hand. We need a seventh hand operating in our homes, our marriages, our lives. Six hands can put a man on the moon, but it takes the seventh hand to put God in your home. See, we can build a church, and we can build a building like this that seats 1,300, and we can have all these lights and sound system, amazing things that were all rocking last night. Uh, we can have all kinds of rooms and, and, and a cafe and, a, and all kinds of things for kids, and we can have great music, and we can have great preaching, and we can have great uh, children's ministry and concerts, and we can have, which we have today, free ice cream today afterwards because it's so hot. We can have all that. But listen, the Bible says it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says God. By my seventh hand, says God. You can have in your home, you can have a 5,000 square foot home with an amazing pool and hot tub. You can have an incredible view. You can have uh, vaulted ceilings and you can have all the tile and everything that you want and the countertops and it can look beautiful. You can have your 75 inch TV. You can have a media room. You can have all that. But Without the seventh hand of God, it's not home. It's not the presence of God. He says, do what all you can do. But it's not until the seventh hand of God comes in that it becomes a home, a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place where love rules, a place where peace rules, a place where forgiveness rules, a place of restoration, a place where broken hearts are healed, a place where depression can't live, a place where addiction can't live, a place where rebellion can't live. He says, you can do six hands all day long, but you need the seventh hand of God. That's the law of the home. See, it takes more than the things the hand can build and create. It takes the hand of God. It takes the presence of God. It takes the power of God. It takes the seventh hand. Fight for your family and God will fight for you. Why am I screaming? I don't know. My voice is getting wore out, but I'm excited about this seventh hand that we need desperately need to God. It's the law of the home. Fight for your family and God will fight for you. What you're doing, let me say, what you're doing right now is important, one of the most important things you can do. I don't know if you look at it this way, but being here today is fighting for your family. Being here today is one of the things you can do. Having your kids in the children's ministry, having your students in student ministry, having your kids come next week to your middle school as a service from the very beginning so we can impart the seventh hand of God in their life. Having your kids over there where the seventh hand of God can touch them coming and getting in small groups and coming and getting to marriage for life. You want to fight for your marriage? Get in marriage for life. Get in a marriage group. You want to fight for your kids? Get in a parenting group. Get your kids in church. Make sure you're putting yourself in that position. You want to fight for your finances? Get in God's financial plan. Do all you can do. And God will do what he does. But you have to do it. We're fighting, we're ha- we're fighting with you. We're fighting for you. Do all you can do. Why? It's the law of the home. It's the law of the temple. When you do all you can do, God comes and does what you cannot. And nothing I just mentioned right in there is something we cannot do. We all can do that. But God says, if you'll fight for your family, I'll fight for you. The law of the home is to do all we we can do, and then he will work. One one story, and we'll close. 1 Kings 18, 42 through 46. So Ahab went out to eat and drink. King Ahab, we just mentioned him earlier, evil king. And Elijah, the prophet of the day, went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go now, look towards the sea. There have been a famine, there been, have been a drought in the land. It has not rained for three and a half years. It's like the summer we have for three and a half years, right? It's like the forecast. Go look up. No rain for three and a half years. I want you to look and see if, is there anything that you see? Comes back and said, there is nothing. And how many times did he go? Seven, seven times he went up. One time, nothing. Second time, nothing. Third time, fourth time, nothing, nothing, nothing. And he said, Go again the seventh time. Then it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, Hey, there's a little cloud out there. There's a guy, I see a cloud way out over the sea. It's small. I don't know if it means anything. It's small. It's small. It's, It's the size of a man's what? It's the size of a man's hand. Look at your hand. I I got a little hand. Listen, he said, hey, don't get excited, Elijah. It's just way out there, and it's just this little bitty hand thing. I mean, if you put your hand up there, it's about how big it is out there, Elijah. But it's rising out of the sea. And so he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now, it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Listen to this story here. It was the seventh time that that servant went up to look that he saw the hand of God. Come on, somebody. It was the seventh time that he went. He did all he could do. Listen, what I'm saying is don't quit, don't give up. Don't stop before you get to the seventh hand of God. We're quitting too early. We have not done all we can do because if we do all we can do, the law of the house is the seventh hand of God comes in on our hands and does what we cannot do. If you fight for your families, God will fight for you. So don't quit. The seventh hand of God will come to your rescue. Do all you can do. Don't give up on your marriage. God's hand is going to bring the rain. Don't give up on your kids. God's hand is going to bring the rain. Don't give up on your home. God's hand is going to bring the rain. Don't give up on your body. God's hand is going to bring the rain. Don't give up on your finances. God's hand is going to bring the rain. Do what you can do. And listen, all the servants saw was this little bitty cloud way out there about the size of a hand. See, so he came back to Elijah and he says, listen, I don't know if this means anything. It doesn't look like much, but I just saw this little bitty cloud that looked like this little bitty hand. It was little, but can I tell you, it was loaded. Little as much in God's hand, in the seventh hand, amen? amen. Little as much when it's in God's seventh hand. He says, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. And then all of a sudden, Elijah goes crazy. He gets up from prayer and he goes, Are you serious? What's going on? He goes, Okay, okay, okay. Go tell Ahab to do this. And the servant's got to be here. Just saw this, this little speck out in there. Go tell Ahab to get ready because it's going to rain, a rain like you have not seen in three and a half years at least. It's going to rain. He says, go tell him he better get out of here before there's so much rain he can't. In other words, God's fixing to come down. He's fixing to bring the rain. God's fixing to do something amazing. But all he saw was this little cloud the size of a man's hand. But when the seventh hand is coming, get your expectation up. It doesn't matter. If you see a little break in the clouds, celebrate, or a little break in the the situation, celebrate the seventh hand of God. If you just see one little win, celebrate the hand of God. I've done all I can do. I'm fighting for my family. I've I've gone to the mountaintop six times, but I know, Father God, I know I do everything I can do. You will send your seventh hand and bring the rain. He brought the rain that provided provision for people that hadn't for three for, for flocks and for crops. He brought the rain provision in your family. Get your expectation up. See God move and God work. Get your expectation up. All he saw was a little hand, but he got his expect. Something's about to happen. Something's about to happen that your six hands could not make happen. That your six your handbreadth your cubit could not make happen. Something's about to happen that you couldn't make happen, but God can make it happen. God's hand came upon Elijah, I love this, and he outran the horses and chariots. I love that, he outran the horses and chariots. Let me say this, when God's hand comes upon you, when you do what you do, what you, all you can do when God's hand comes upon you, you can do the things you didn't think you could ever do. You could do the things you thought were impossible, but nothing is impossible with the seventh hand of God on you. Nothing's impossible when that seventh hand of God comes and intervenes in your life. How's he going to outrun that chariot? Who knows? But the seventh hand of God coming upon him is going to cause him to do things that man think was impossible. There's a seventh hand of God. See, man, you do what you can do, and God does what you cannot do. He does. The seventh hand of God will do what you cannot do. Impossible becomes possible when the seventh hand of God comes on you. We need the seventh hand of God to come upon our homes, our families, our marriages. Now, understand me, you need to know this before we close the sixth hand breaths, the law of the home. The sixth hand have to be done. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. You can't skip that. The sixth hand have to be done. Then the seventh hand comes. It's the law of the home. Here's what I believe. I don't know where you're at in life, but I believe this and I'm thinking about fighting for your family and... When you fight for your family, the seventh hand comes and fights for you and does things and goes places. The seventh hand goes places and does the impossible. It goes places you can't go. Listen, we need the seventh hand of God in our home. We need the seventh hand of God in our families because we have kids and they go out and they go out on their own and who knows where they are and who knows where they're with. And your seventh hand of God can go where you can't go. And you might have kids stray away and wander away and get in things you never thought they would get in. But listen, if you've done all you can do, then you cry out for the seventh hand of God. Because I believe that when they find themselves in a place of brokenness, if you've done all you can do, the seventh hand of God will go grab them by the hand and bring them back to the house of God. I believe, parents, when you've done all you can do, and they're out there and involved in things they shouldn't be in things like that when you've done all you can do all you can do is do what you can do and you cry out to God and I believe that seventh hand of God God, if need be will grab them by the back of the collar and bring them back to the house of God and say now worship the God of your fathers worship the God of your mothers (laughs) seventh hand of God don't quit don't quit, quit families don't give up the law of the home do all you can do and the seventh hand of God will do what you can